earlier days of fighting for the so-called greater good are over. This is our chance to control the truth, the concepts of right and wrong for everyone for centuries to come. You're fighting to save an ideal that doesn't exist. Never did. You need to pick a side. Garçon, coffee! <laughs> Welcome to the Coffee and Death Six podcast. My name is Kevin Romani. And I am Danny Marchant. Danny and I spent a lot of time talking about the Mission Impossible series, notably the first four films. We've both seen Mission Impossible 7, Dead Reckoning Part 1, also known as Murder on the Orient <laughs> Express 2, or the joke I had ready last night, maybe it's just Murders on the Orient Express. That's a minor, that's a very minor spoiler. We'll tell you when real spoilers come into play, but we've both seen the new Mission Impossible picture and we want to talk primarily about that, but also maybe a little bit more on the Christopher McQuarrie, his time on the series as both writer and director. But first of all, Dead Reckoning Part 1, the seventh Mission Impossible movie. Danny, what did you think? I'm not kidding. I literally had a murder on the Orient Express joke prepared for this moment. I believe you. I, of course, believe you. I was going to say, this is a better remake of Murder on the Orient Express than the Kenneth Branagh one from a couple years ago. <laughs> That's, that was my little one-liner. So I'll do my backup one-liner, which is, I'm converting to Scientology. <laughs> I think there's a lot. There must be something to it. <laughs> Very good film. This was a hoot. I really, really enjoyed this movie. It did not dramatically reshuffle my general feeling about the franchise or about where each movie falls in relation to the other but as has been the case with the last couple movies in this series it was just a lot of fun just a really solid almost sounds a little too like it just was a very sturdy strong action adventure film had a blast agreed a lot of fun i think we started saying this out loud yesterday at least i did and naturally as i do i tend to not ever get back to where i fucking started with the point i'm trying to figure out in my head when this became like a franchise to me obviously of course it's a franchise there are multiple entries but as we were talking last night it's like well they made one it was a pretty good hit and they made a second one and then it wasn't as big of a hit and then it took six years to make the third one and that one sort of reinvigorated the franchise and felt like almost like a soft reboot. But then it took another five years to make another one. And it like kept changing hands of directors. And I was reminded today, of, I watched the fifth one, Rogue Nation. And I feel like that was when it sort of solidified itself as like, hey, it doesn't matter how old-ish Tom Cruise is getting. Like at that point, it was in his late 40s. But now they're making these every four years and then the sixth one comes out and it was only three years later and the sixth one was probably when it was like definitively like we are now just in the, the business of making mission impossible movies but it struck me watching this fifth one again where in the beginning i didn't read anything about this yet but two of the production companies were like a joke one of them was like Chinese movies or China pictures. Mm -hmm. And then another one was Alibaba mm -hmm. production. Alibaba. Which is like, what yep. is, again, something we started talking about when we last recorded on Mission Impossible was when Christopher McQuarrie took over as director, it almost felt like, okay, we're going to kind of wean back and Mission Impossible movies are going to get a little smaller and less important because the writer who hasn't made that many movies before, is now directing, mm, kind of like Shatner directing Star Trek V or something like that. And then I see all these production companies, it's like, were they struggling to get financing for a Tom Cruise starring Mission Impossible movie only eight years ago? Regardless, now these movies are coming out regularly. This one is only a little bit later because of COVID, because both this got delayed filming and then Top Gun Maverick got delayed just when it was released to try to have a maximum audience who could attend these movies because this originally had a release date of 2021, which would have been only three years after the sixth one. So it's like, this is a bona fide 
franchise now with regular entries, the same star, and now the same writer-director. And these two are a match made in heaven. I don't know when they fully found themselves in a relationship with each other. I know mm-hmm. Chris McQuarrie wrote Valkyrie, the 2008 movie with Tom Cruise, and then he directed Jack Reacher in 2012. But at some point, these two just realized that they were made for each other. A strong writer who gets what this series is. This is something we talked about a lot of what is this franchise? And at some point around Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation, it realized it's a stunt spy series that's built on fun set pieces, characters, and a nice mix of humor, spectacle, emotion, etc. And Dead Reckoning Part 1 just continues that trend. It's perhaps a small step back from the last two or three movies. I'll get into that later, but not, I'm like nitpicking. In terms of just, this is like movie magic. It's why we love movies. And this is what Top Gun Maverick reminded us of last year. It's practical effects and stunts in a movie star with high octane action and excellent technical people making the movie. And it just continues to deliver. And they, it just feels so, there's just such authenticity to these movies, not only from the stunts and the effects, just from a practical level, but just from, I feel like the people making it are like, isn't it great that we get to make movies? Like, it doesn't feel like the slave labor CGI disaster that's going on over at Marvel and Disney. And this feels just like we fucking love making movies and we love entertaining people and that it's so palpable. You can just feel it when you're watching these pictures. Yeah. I think it's when Tom Cruise isn't yelling at them for not wearing masks, it's probably a lot of fun to make these movies. And (laughs) because like you said, it's old school filmmaking as opposed to farmed out merciless hours on a computer screen with, you know, no breaks, no benefits because you're technically a contractor. So you don't really count as an employee. My biggest thing with this movie is just, the running time for a cliffhanger yes. always bothers me, bothered me with Matrix Reloaded, but that is, you know, our favorite movie. And it bothered me with the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie. But in hindsight, I really like that one. So it's one of these things where I have some issues, but the movie's not over yet, which is frustrating. So I'll sort of wait and see. But what we got was extremely good. So... It's really not a complaint or a criticism. It's just a it's just a note. You know, I would have I would have maybe liked either a fuller meal or a shorter running time would be kind of my thing. It's like, okay, it's okay if it's that long. Just maybe put more of a button on it. And then, oh no button, it's cliffhanger. That's fine, that's cool. People like cliffhangers. Maybe just shorten the runtime. But still, I don't know what you'd cut, I don't know what you'd trim couple of sort of COVID filmmaking hallmarks I noticed. A lot of close-ups, a lot of like maybe people weren't able to occupy space the same way that you normally can in a movie. So little things like that jumped out like, oh, that's right. This was made during a pandemic with restrictions, strictly enforced restrictions. And little things like um, just like some little technical things. But as far as you go to these movies to see big spectacular stunts and set pieces the movie delivered on that there was no like heist element which was too bad but yeah i really enjoyed it i don't think i'll ever hear the word entity or key the same ever again because oh man were those words said an awful lot in this film An entity at least had a little bit of a uh, coolness to it. Every time it was said, I was like, I like this. This is a good name for what Mm -hmm. we'll save it for spoilers. But key, the MacGuffin is essentially Mm -hmm. two keys. And the word key is said a remarkable number of times. I'm very glad you said this because I was also thinking that. I'm like, yeah, we know. We 100% know what we're talking about. This actually ties... I don't think this is really spoilers, so I don't mind saying this now before we get into definite spoiler territory, but we talked a little bit in our earlier discussion about how the MacGuffins, for the most part, do not matter. The plots don't big-time matter with the Mission Impossible movies. This one felt like the most 
significant MacGuffin, especially because it, it also mm -hmm. felt the most timely, which was interesting because you last night and I bit my tongue because you said they're usually not timely, which you are 100% correct. The first six movies, they aren't. And then this one, it is like it, unbelievably so. <laughs> so we'll talk about that later. But it felt earned, though, a little bit, too. We talked about this, like where the movies tend to be fresh in a lot of ways. So, you know, the fourth one felt like the first one in the whole series where it's like there are nukes and they're going to blow up the world and like we need to mm -hmm. save the world. But we often talk about stakes and we like movies when they have lower stakes sometimes. So the first one is, yeah, we don't want a bunch of spies to get outed and tortured and killed. That's a good stake level, especially for your first movie and for a spy movie. And then the second one does a virus thing, which also <laughs> felt kind of timely. But like, okay, that was... It wasn't executed extremely well, but it was something different. The third one we loved was almost a joke. You don't even know what the MacGuffin is. It's just, we got to stop bad guy from having X device that mm -hmm. probably does something bad. But then the fourth one, so it's like, yeah, let's just do a nuke is going to blow up the world and we're going to have nuclear Armageddon and a new world order after all the nukes go off. So that felt very earned. And the fifth one gets into something that I love a lot, which is I was going to ask you last night if you knew if the syndicate is from the TV show, because that feels like it's if from it is, the TV I don't, show. I don't remember or know, but it does sound that is a very classic spy thriller name for a villainous organization. The syndicate it doesn't sound good. Yeah, it's like the IMF's um, mm -hmm. Spectre, right? It's like their version of the evil. So that felt like a good time to do that. Now we just have, like, we're battling against this other evil group of super spies. And then the sixth one gets back to bigger stakes. But then this one felt extremely fixated mm -hmm. on the MacGuffin. But when six previous entries didn't necessarily do that, I think it's okay. Maybe we'll get to spoilers pretty soon, but it was a good one. It was a good one. I liked it. It was timely and appropriate. You mentioned a couple of things I wanted to speak to. One was the Tom Cruise, the now very famous rant that he went on. Do you think that was staged? That was a big... 100%. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, every... I mean, there is no aspect of this man's life that is not... <laughs> that is not planned out to a T. Danny, I'm sure he loved The Flash. I'm sure he loved that movie and that it was his favorite yeah. superhero movie and he's always been a huge Flash fan. <laughs> Everything he does is planned. That's why there's that awkward video of him at the baseball game with his uh, his new fillers in and he wasn't supposed to be noticed. It's why he looks so uncomfortable. It's why the usually personable and extremely charming and gregarious Tom Cruise looks like, please stop filming me. There's a, a small human moment I've given myself and everyone's like, oh, he doesn't look like himself. It's like, because he wasn't prepared to be on camera this evening. This was not on the agenda. He's gone off the reservation. The Scientology agents are mm. scrambling to get him back under control. Yeah, no, the rant was 100%, 100% just a, let's just release this. He's the movie guy defending movies. Like, there's no way someone that professional would lose his temper. That's the other thing. He takes his job really seriously and... His whole thing is the professional movie star actor guy. And there's no way he would just start screaming at people like a diva. Like that's not really, that does not align with his image. But it does align with his image to be begging COVID scofflaws to follow the rules so that we can make the movie, so we can save movies, damn it. <laughs> back here in Hollywood making movies right now because of us. Because they believe in us and what we're doing. I'm on the phone with every studio at night, insurance companies, producers, and they're looking at us and using us to make their movies. We are creating thousands of jobs, you I don't ever want to see it again, ever. And if you don't do it, you're fired. And if I see you do it again, you're gone. And anyone on this crew does it. That's it! And you too! And you too! And you! Don't you ever do it again! That's it! No apologies! You can tell it to the people that are losing their homes! Because our industry is shut down! 
It's not going to put food on their table or pay for their college education. That's what I sleep with every night. Anecdotally, I've heard good stories about Tom Cruise and, and his cast and crew say sure. they love him. So I agree with you. I don't think it's in his nature. I'm sure he's, of course, thrown like minor. How could you not? He has mm-hmm. the status that he has and he's been in, on a million movie sets. But that felt mm-hmm. very like someone's filming this. It felt very orchestrated and like, let's be an exemplar for how we can continue making movies during this bizarre time. Or even if it wasn't orchestrated, he was only acting on the vibes. He was only doing something that he knew people wanted to happen. Mm. Similar to Will Smith. It wasn't staged him slapping Chris Rock, but he sensed that people wanted something to happen at this boring, miserable ceremony about the stupid industry that no one gives a shit about anymore. And so, feeding off those vibes, Will Smith said, I think I'm just going to hit a guy <laughs> like a lunatic tonight. I just, I'm just kind of looking for that. You know, he was only acting on, he was responding to the vibes, and that's what Tom Cruise was doing. He was responding to, hmm. to the world's vibes. They were speaking to him. Yeah. Yell at the crew. People will like it. Trust me. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> mm. You also spoke to the length of it. Mm-hmm. It felt a little long. I won't say there was any point where I was looking at my watch and bored or anything like that, but it also felt like I have to pee. I had that feeling. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's usually a good sign mm-hmm. of like, okay, this movie's maybe a little too long. And then knowing it's part one of two, but it's also the longest movie in the franchise. Mm. So do we need to do this? And maybe where there are too many characters and that can come up later also. But I will say, I'm not a big fan of the part one, part two thing myself. You brought up two perfect examples. Reloaded feels like it just stops on a dime. And Pirates of the Caribbean 2, I guess my memory of that is that ending. I like that movie a lot also. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a pattern with these that I'm getting nervous about where typically I really like the first part and then I don't like the second part. I guess the one exception would be Harry Potter... Deathly Hollows, yeah, parts one and two. You know, those to me were both really good movies, but especially part two was excellent. And that one, at least, it's like, well, we have the source material, and it's this mammoth book mm-hmm. that we like really need to cover everything that happens in it. But then when it's like just a movie, it's like, does do we need to do? Does a Mission Impossible movie need to be essentially five hours long? And from what I was reading recently, the big set piece at the end of the film the train sequence was originally 90 minutes long does that need to happen in a mission impossible movie when we were talking about the first one being a crisp hour 50 like that's a great spy movie length yeah so there's a little bit of it getting it's starting to i'm afraid of it being too i'm going to use your quote reading its own press well we're now like the spy franchise and tom cruise is the movie star who saved the movie industry. So now every movie that we need to make is like two and a half hours an epic. It needs to be part one. It needs to have a title like Dead Reckoning. And it needs to have this super complicated plot and MacGuffin that's timely and all these other things that it's like, okay, this was still really good, but maybe go back to your two-hour template of just making fun spy movies. The twists and turns are always fine. But you don't want to overstay your welcome. With Reloaded and Dead Man's Chest, that's an example of the creators and filmmakers getting ambitious and deciding we want to do something different. We want to go big, which I love. That's why at the time I liked Dead Man's Chest. I still like Dead Man's Chest. I fucking love Dead Man's Chest. <laughs> I love that movie. I, it's a great. I think that's a legitimately great movie. I, I like is, Dead Man's Chest a lot. It's two and a half hours long, and I, I'm people were understandably like all that for for a cliffhanger and the third one yeah some people like it some people love it some people hate it i like the third one i think it's okay but it doesn't didn't stick the landing the way i wanted it to just like with reloaded and revolutions revolutions doesn't quite stick the landing it sort of does i liked things about it but i still found myself thinking oh i got really excited for this and this isn't quite what i was hoping and so that's my 
concern is they're getting real ambitious. They obviously have a big story plan that is supposed to tie the whole franchise together, something I'm always very circumspect about because it doesn't always work. But they're both very competent, Macquarie and Cruz. So I trust that they know what they're doing. (laughs) But it is when movies end on cliffhangers, when part ones end and you're left thinking, oh, what's next? I always get concerned, like, I hope what's next is good. I said off air yesterday that I saw the Spiderman film across the Spider-Verse. I didn't even know that was part one of part two. I read that today. I didn't care for that picture in particular. I thought it was a bunch of nonsense. And then it ends on a cliffhanger. And I'm not seeing the next one. I liked the first one. Not seeing the next one. I don't care. This one ends on a cliffhanger. It's a long running time. I'm going to be there next year. Like I want to know I want to know what happens. A lot of things occurred in this movie that I want to see. Are they still going to be true in the next movie? Are there any fake outs, for example? Mm. So, yeah, I'm just looking forward to the second one, but I do remember thinking at the end of the sixth one, just stop here, like call it. Well, you're doing really well. Quit while you're ahead, but I don't know, what do I know? I don't make movies. Good writer, good director, good actor, a great cast. The new additions were really good. To the, the cast was huge in this one. I really liked the new faces. I liked seeing some of the old faces. There's no complaints. It's just musings, observations, thoughts about the future. Right. So the cliffhanger itself, as far as it... I'm personally not a fan of a movie ending on like a significant cliffhanger. I feel like that gets used a lot with Empire Strikes Back. And not really. Like It, ha- it ends with a big twist... But then it it ends. The story ends. It's in a franchise. You know there's going to be another one. It's not like Empire is part one of part two to a two-part finale after one sequel. Whereas that's what Pirates did before they added the fourth and fifth. I almost said six. I'm like, wait a minute. I don't even remember anymore. I never saw four and five. They're making a sixth. Oh, there's been all sorts. One was with Margot Robbie at one point. Yep. Okay. But... He's fully rehabilitated now. He's so back. He's making a sick. He's back. He's back. God bless him. <laughs> Justice for Johnny Depp. It's so important that he get a fair shake. Yeah. What a persecuted man he is. Yes. <laughs> anyway. So, <laughs> yes. And then Matrix 4, we've talked about whatever. That's at least like something different. But anyway, mm. let's just pretend they ended each at three. Yes. So there's one really good movie and then we do like a two-part two sequel thing. I'm not really into that. So at least Mission Impossible, this isn't the second and third movies. It's like, we've been doing this for a while. Let's sure. let's try something. Mm-hmm. This one, to me, had a very satisfying ending where I'm excited to see the next one, but yes. I'm not pins and needles. I'm not... It actually reminded me a lot of The Fellowship of the Ring. Mm. That's a trilogy that, yes, that is... Well, I didn't know it when I was... 11 but then i later learned like oh there's three books that are basically just one long book that got split up because they were too long those feel natural but that's kind of like what this reminded me of where it ended and i you know maybe wanted more but i also felt like it had slowed down enough and left me in a good place which is not how i felt at the end of reloaded all those years ago there was an emotional climax yes this the plot is still way up in the air but fellowship of the rain has an emotional conclusion you're like, wow, I have gone on a journey. Story's nowhere near close to being done. It's why I kind of felt weird giving an assessment about Dune, because I love Dune, but that movie ends and it's like, oh, there's clearly so much more <laughs> more left. And there wasn't quite an emotional climax. It was sort of a nice little moment for Paul, but it does feel like, and the movie's going to start next year. Yeah, good point. <laughs> so it's hard to sort of, it's hard to judge. This one has a nice conclusion emotionally. It was a delicious meal, but it's like, I don't want to be too full, you know? Like, the first six were were already very good. So, again, it's, like, too early to tell. But the movie is really good. And if you're thinking about seeing it, you 100% should see it. Yes. This goes without saying, if you like these movies, you should go see this movie. It's a lot of fun, and Mm -hmm. especially the last three, then you're really going to like this one a lot. Yes. It's the funniest, also. I found, I mean, I just thought it was going for humor in a way that the other okay. the previous two were there, not well all right let's spoilers go see this movie go see this movie it's a lot of fun spoilers one thing so spoilers one thing that stuck out to me you had mentioned 
and you're correct, you are of course ultimately correct, that the fourth movie started to embrace Ethan Hunt as a madman. And he is just so determined. <laughs> Ethan is so determined and everyone's kind of looking at him like he's crazy, but it's like, because the world is in danger. But what's really fun about these movies, even more so than like the Bournes or the Bonds or anything like that is everything's so covert that no one else knows the world is in danger. In fact, mm -hmm. oftentimes the IMF and the government don't know what's really happening because everything is just so insular to these characters. But one thing I will say I'm going to minorly disagree with that you said is that Ethan's a madman and they're all like looking at him. I've realized now that I've rewatched them all is that Simon Pegg is an enabler. Mm -hmm. Benji is quite the enabler. He, after the third movie, is just like, fucking, you can do anything. So anytime an impossible mission comes up, he's like, well, Ethan can just do it because he just does it every time. And each movie has basically had that gag. Oh my God. And this one, which was very <laughs> fitting, is in a, this is spoiler, but sort of, because it it's been in the trailers mm -hmm. and I feel like they've been pumping this up. The big stunt in this one is Tom Cruise riding his motorcycle off of a cliff, which he really did. Mm -hmm. And what's been great is in the last couple movies is Benji's Simon Pegg character has been very like, you're gonna just jump out of this building and climb up and get, you know. And then in Rogue Nation, like you can hold your breath for three minutes underwater. Like that, holding your breath compared to some of the other shit I've seen you do, like that's not a big deal. But I love in this one where he's like, I think Ethan's gonna do it, but he's even like, Oh my God. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry that things didn't work out and you now need to jump off a like, I'm not good with distance, but like a 10,000 high mountain and you need to then land on a train with a parachute. I think you'll do it, but I'm even, I'm questioning this one, which that felt good. If you're going to keep doing these, like that felt like a good level that they've reached with each other. And Ethan's very much like, what do you mean I'm going to, I have done some shit, but like, you think I can do this? But that's what these movies are. They keep upping the ante. What's the next one going to do? Mm -hmm. And so far they continue to <laughs> do it. They continue to deliver. It's incredible. Yeah. The meta narrative of these films is about Simon Pegg and Tom Cruise's friendship. <laughs> <laughs> and how it's just like you can do anything man it's like really you think so i think so ah thanks bro i'll <laughs> I'll, I'll try it i'll go for yeah. it yeah you know and simon Pegg slash benji is like yeah i know there's some problems but i'm not gonna think about those <laughs> i'm not gonna i'm gonna compartmentalize everything he can do it i think he can do it it's this thing of like you know james bond why does he go on his missions it's his job that's literally it he's a bastard it's his job he would do it for anyone but he has this weird sense of duty to the way things are that's what he does jason Bourne doesn't want to go on missions he wants everyone to leave him alone that's how he gets involved in these wacky things just leave me alone leave me alone jack ryan i was just trying to do analysis and i got pulled into this stupid action adventure ethan hunt is like he does spy missions because they're fun <laughs> because he likes solving problems and he likes solving problems with his friends he likes his team he cares about his team so much and he just wants he's like we can do it you guys and the reason i've i know i went rogue again i'm sorry <laughs> you know that's my thing and i'm taking you all with me on my little wacky adventure but i believe in us we can do this like he's a man constantly searching for big problems to solve with his best friends. It's like such a pure motivation for like a spy character. He has his demons. He has bad luck with brunettes, but he, uh, other than that, he seems to just genuinely enjoy doing this stuff. And he doesn't really think about like, oh, I never really thought about it. Me defending the old order or upholding a broken system. My whole thing is just like, come on, man, you can't just blow up people with nukes. AI, Get the fuck out of here. That sounds weird. Me and my buddies are going to stop you. Like, that's all it is. And he says a line in this one that I I don't get emotional in the Mission Impossible movies very often. But <laughs> in the third act, he says to Haley Atwell, know that no matter what, I care about your life more than I care about my life. Mm -hmm. And I care about everyone's life more than I care about my own life. And it's like... Oh, that is what this character has been. Mm -hmm. So yes, he there's a sneaky enjoyment 
that he gets in these fun spy things. But he is a very, he's a hero. Yes. Which I think is also very refreshing. Yes. I think that's something that, that was nice with me rewatching these movies. It's like, oh, he's, he's a hero. Like he's an mm-hmm. unquestionable heroic character going back to the first one. They've been inconsistent with this, which is more of an inconsistency with the screenwriters and directors. But in the good ones, he's got kind of like a no kill thing mm-hmm. all the way back to the first one with, Jean Renault with his character and he he's about to stab some security guy or someone and Ethan grabs him and says no 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 we're like we're not killing anybody yeah and he's often trying to just knock people out and they're mm-hmm. often just gassing people when they do their like wacky mask like <laughs> subterfuge mm-hmm. things he's not killing people he wants to save the day and he will never well he he's going to try his damnness not to let his teammates get killed yes and that's kind of what this movie becomes about is it treats the first movie's events as like the foundational thing that happened to Ethan Hunt. And it's why he's the way he is. This is a guy who on a big mission, everyone on the mission got killed. And the guy responsible was the man he trusted. The father figure is the one that did it basically. And uh, he got yelled at by Kittredge. Like it was his fault. And he's just traumatized by that. And so his whole thing is he wants to keep his team together and he doesn't want them to get hurt and yes he keeps pulling them into his his side hustles and his rogue operations but it's only because he knows he's the hero he's the best guy he's the good guy he knows the truth it's a very like uniquely american thing like that's why he's such a popular movie star it's like i think all over the world people are like that is that's an american guy right there like he just he thinks he knows better and it turns out He does know better and we should have just listened to him and let him do his job. And this movie, he does get to do some acting. He he gets to pull out that. Yeah. It's a little more emotional. That's kind of been the sort of growing connection between him and Ilsa. And there's a big story beat with Ilsa, which I don't know how I feel about that one yet, but you know, spoilers for dead reckoning. Ilsa gets stabbed and, uh, killed and uh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that because she was a pretty great character. But it's almost like they're making room for the new well leggy British brunette who's gonna be with the fun banter with uh, Haley Atwell, who was a great who was a great character. But it felt I felt like Jack Donaghy was giving notes off screen. Like there can only be there can't be more than one brunette. <laughs> you need to kill one of them. <laughs> so I was doing some research on comedy and I came across the cartoon strip Dilbert and it's quite good and I was wondering if we could do that do what? Dilbert <laughs> no 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 you can't say that Jeb Bush is a friend of mine who, who should I change it to? Sean Penn no Barbara Streisand he guns it girl falls into the water coffee? so he circled back Looking for, remember, it's pitch black out. The boat hits something hard. And you hear kind of, <laughs> and Brokaw says, just go. Don't look back. Now, I'm not a writer, but maybe there's a skit in that. There are too many babes in this movie. When this cast list came out, it's like Haley Atwell, like one yeah. of the most beautiful women ever. Like, she's joining this movie. It's like, oh, well... I think Rebecca mm-hmm. Ferguson might be in trouble. And then couple that with, you have Vanessa Kirby. Yep. Gorgeous, fun British actress. And a gorgeous, fun British actress. And a gorgeous, fun British slash Swedish actress. And then you also add... I, I'm, Mantis. Um, uh, uh, Mantis. Mantis, thank you. One of these ladies is going to get fridged in this movie. And I'm guessing yeah. it's going to be one of the older ones. And you mentioned it. I'm not ruling out there's some sort of a fake out. Because it is Mission Impossible, but I also feel with the addition of Haley Atwell and their characters, I mean, frankly, looking similar. Yeah, like you said, it did feel like Jack Donaghy. I agree, because I felt like that was a good match for Ethan. Yes. I really liked how the sixth movie ended with him finally letting go of Julie and basically opening up for, well, now you can date and be with this other spy who gets your life and like you two don't have to like save each other you can just be a no well, you can save each other you can be a team and you can be very open about what both of your mm-hmm. jobs are and so it just seemed like that's nice but then that's something that's just so 
we talked about this a little bit with our last conversation too, with like these movies are rooted in old Hollywood still of like, Mm -hmm. there needs to be new leading ladies. And it's like, does it need, I don't know if it needs that. Like I really liked Haley Atwell. Like I said, not only she's gorgeous, but that's diminishing her acting abilities. I like Rebecca Ferguson a lot. I like her character a lot. Haley Atwell, I think is a tremendous actor on top of everything. And I don't know why she, although I feel like she's someone who I say She's not in that many things. And then you pull up her IMDb. It's like, oh, she has been. But it seems like she could have been a mega star. And it never really yeah. quite happened for her. Mm-hmm. Not that she's, I mean, she's like 40 or 41. She's only like 20 years younger than Tom Cruise. So it's not, <laughs> it's not like embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> which I will say, I mean, when they're at least 40, it's not terribly noticeable. But also... The man looks good. Yes. Whatever blood he's bathing in is doing its job because he looks he looks terrific. I think that blood might be starting. Yeah, he looks great in this movie. And actually, this is... I want to briefly go back to the cliffhanger thing and the part one, part two thing where what's making me a little bit nervous about this one is like how much time has passed. I don't quite know the whole filming schedule, but they've been filming these two movies for like 10 years with COVID messing everything up. So it's like if they had filmed these in like a solid year, like they did with the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the matrix sequels and pirates of the Caribbean sequels, then I'd be a little bit more comfortable with that with like, it's the same and it is the same team. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's also like a lot of time has passed. A lot of things have happened. So like you said, what if the second one was really impacted by COVID protocol and ghost protocol? (laughs) Tom Cruise himself looks awesome in this. He looked awesome in Top Gun Maverick, but they were filmed like a couple years ago now. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. now when he does his little openings, his sermons, when he's giving his little sermons before the movies, (laughs) he's starting to sound and look a little a little old a little bit well he is he i is. know but but like it's weird then but then when the movie starts you're like oh he's fine but then it's but then you have to remind right. yourself well that was like four years ago or three years yeah. ago that they filmed this so the vibe i've gotten from this dead reckoning two-parter is okay so this is the last one they're like going for like a grand finale but this isn't he said i want to make it till i'm as old as harrison ford and i hear that and i'm like no don't do that that's no fun and this almost feels like it's like the setup to the grand finale, like to quote this movie and the first movie, like the idea seems to be like, oh, we've never seen Ethan upset. Like now he's pissed. Now he's going to find and kill God in the next one. He has that great line where he's like, nothing will stop me from defeating you and your God. It's setting up like Ethan Hunt's final mission. He defeats reality itself. He's up against a predictive AI that can just tell what's going to happen. And Ethan's like, oh, yeah, I'm smarter than you. <laughs> I'm cleverer than you. Like, that seems to be the thing. It's the villain is a, is a guy from his past. It's not Solomon Lane. It's um this very good, this really compelling actor. But I did find myself sort of like, oh, I kind of, I'd hate when they establish, like, I'm from your past. I'm an important part of your past. We've never mentioned it before. But I'm a huge part of your whole deal. It's like, ah, eh, whatever, whatever, whatever. If you, like you said, if this was truly going to be the finale, if it was seven and eight, part one and part two, we're ending this series while he's still relatively young. And by the way, before we start to like suck, because it's going to happen. Like it's eventually, yeah, of course, not to pull a Max Kellerman here, but Tom Brady, well, he never really fell off cliff, but like eventually Tom Brady won't be excellent at football anymore. Sure. Tom Brady's just about done. It could be his next game he plays. It could be a year from now, but he is going to fall off a cliff. So eventually Tom Cruise and the Mission Impossible series will have another dud. I mean, I think. (laughs) Well, this goes back to people will say like, oh, but James Bond's been going on forever. And it's like they reshuffle both the behind the scenes and on-screen talent every decade or so. You know, there's a reason that people don't tend to not like the last, you know, oh, there's the later two where Sean Connery doesn't care that you can tell it's a toupee anymore. 
there's Roger Moore's last one where it's like, what did you do to your eyes? <laughs> like, <laughs> what happened to your face? You could talk, oh my God, what's wrong with your face? It's because, oh, it's, things are getting tired. Time to get rid of Sean, put Roger in. Get rid of Roger, put Timothy Dalton in. This is the thing. Tom Cruise wants to stay Ethan Hunt. So it's not going to work because he is going to get too old and it is going to become embarrassing like it most recently did with Harrison Ford. It's like, you are too old to be doing this. Pack it in. Again, though, it's the double-edged sword of him being who he is. He takes this all so seriously, which is why he's so good at it, but he takes this all so seriously. Like, this is the only thing he knows how to do. Of course, he's not going to just... He'll stop making Mission Impossible movies when he either dies making one or when they stop making money. Unless it's those two options, he's not going to just stop like, well, the story's been told. No, he's he's going to keep doing them. He came back for Top Gun because he's like, oh, you've got a story. Excellent. Thank you. I'll come back. You can always think of a new Mission Impossible idea. Yeah, it feels like if you're doing the part one, part two thing, seventh and eighth movies, he's starting to get older. It does feel like the right time. But yeah. to go back to your point, that's why I was open to the idea of Here's his arch nemesis from his past that created the inciting incident for creating yeah. Ethan Hunt. Okay, we, we haven't really done that sure. before. And, and going all the way back to the first one, you, you mentioned it earlier, where watching that again, not that he's glib, not that he's extremely like, this is just a fucking joke. Not that he, he isn't Maverick. He's not playing Pete Mitchell. No. But in the first one, there's this very, like, fun vibe when they're planning their mission. They're very, like, it's a job. They're Friday night, and they just finished the work week, and they're going out and getting drinks. And it's like, yeah, 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 we'll get to that job. And then everybody dies. And that really sets the tone for what he becomes. So I like that that's become almost like a backdoor yes. origin story. When it was just like the first Mission Impossible, it's like, well, no, that was kind of the introduction to what made Ethan Hunt tick. So a better version of what JJ was trying to do with the third one. I like that. I actually don't hate having the villain from his past coming back. Now I wish it's like this no name. Again, it's another brunette who just gets killed by this guy. And that's what made him go to IMF something. So maybe I'd be okay if we just stopped killing the brunettes that he's in love with or having julie move on to a different person and i guess now it's gonna be Haley atwell which sure eh, i guess there was at least a good emotional connection between them because he sees a lot of himself in her sure or at least he's hoping to you know (laughs) but uh he's like yeah this is me basically like i was just in but are we going to learn more about what this vague flashback is? Because they've just kind of shown it a few times. Of, right. He's just said this guy, Gabriel, he's everywhere and he's nowhere. And I know him from back and when I was, you know, 30 years ago. And yeah. he killed someone close to me. And you just see, like, the image of him killing this pretty brunette that looks a little bit like Michelle Monaghan and Rebecca Ferguson and Haley Atwell and Carrie Russell. It's like, what's going on with this? Yeah, so obviously has a type. He has a type. <laughs> he has a type. Man, he has a type. So is the second one going to expand upon this little bit of a backstory? Are we going to learn more about who she was and what Ethan was up to that made him have to turn to IMF and accept this like lifelong, basically, yeah. this like suicide squad type. That's another thing that was kind of interesting. Is that's never really been my understanding of what IMF was per se. Apparently, to join IMF, you have to be like a criminal with a certain set of skills, and here's your like out mm-hmm. to go to jail. It makes sense for some, but they were almost implying this is how. Yeah. Well, what did Benji do? You know what I mean? I don't know. Again, it's this yeah. it's that thing of like it stays good, but. Even as it continues to stay good, early signs of what could be the decay start to show up. Season 8 of The Simpsons is good, but there's that episode that everyone hates where it turns out that Principal Skinner has a whole secret life. And he isn't really the uptight prude that everyone thinks he is. No one likes that. The season is good. Everyone's still having fun watching The Simpsons. But then you look back and you're like, that was a bad move. They shouldn't have, they shouldn't have done that. And are we going to look, are we going to be here in five, 10 years thinking like the idea, it used to be the IMF was just the impossible mission force. And now it's this dark thing where 
you have to be a criminal to get into it. Like, are we going to look back on that and wonder, ooh, is this a moment where they started to get too carried away? So, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's almost like, let's hope he dies making the ninth one. And then it, the ninth one's good. <laughs> and then he's gone. And um, we had a good run of run of movies. But at the same time, like, I'll always take more because they're throwing in this new villain. They brought back Kittredge, like... They brought back Kittredge. I was so excited. I'm like, Kittredge, I love Kittredge. I love that guy. I always confuse his character in Mission Impossible with his character in Clear and Present Danger, Ritter. They're both double T named CIA deep state assholes. That <laughs> just like are just perfectly bureaucratically malevolent. I love his cadence. I love how he says every single word. Although I laughed during the first one when in the same scene he says the word against. Ethan, I want to assure you that my first order of business after you come in is to have these ridiculous charges against your family dropped and eliminated completely from their files. But if you, uh, if you come in now, we can play down the charges against you as well. And he says, against, and then I said, that guy was born in Ontario, and I was sure to correct. So that took me a little bit out of it when I'm like, he's the perfect, up until this point, was the perfect American CIA bureaucratic asshole. And then he said, against, and I said, oh, I would have written that out. You know, he just, he feels Mormon, which is what a CIA agent should. He feels extremely Mormon, and that's... A malevolent CIA person should feel Mormon or Irish. Those are the two. That's what they should feel like. You should get a sense of like, oh, you're you're not like other people. <laughs> this is a series I remember thinking, you know what this series could use? Shea Wiggum. And hey, they gave the people what they wanted. They gave them I love, I love Shea Wiggum. <laughs> w- Wiggum? I, l- I love yes. him. Yeah. He's- Wiggum, I think. Every, I think I saw a tweet. I'm going to bring up about seven tweets I saw, which Twitter has actually been a little bit more fun lately, I feel like, because I've only been seeing movie-related things of late, and it's more of like a positive minus all the strike-related stuff. But one of them was a picture of him, and it said, anytime this dude shows up, I'm in for whatever I'm watching. And (laughs) I agree, I love him, and I liked his character. However... If I trimmed anything in this, it probably would have been that entire subplot where, like you said, so sure. Ethan goes rogue again, but it's that's starting to become a little tired <laughs> where it's like this dude has just time and time again saved the world and his motivations are always extremely clear. But like every other movie has this thing of, well, he actually killed somebody or he is betraying us and what in the fourth one even though i love the fourth one it's he is the american at the kremlin he blew up the kremlin now he's got like kgb agents or whatever they are russian police chasing after him throughout the movie that one is at least a little bit more fun and different so i like that example Mm -hmm. of it but this one's just very like well hunt didn't come in immediately so now we're going after him we're never clear on what his mission is and then it ends with well you got to trust me and let me do this but then they like want to shoot him and bring him in again and i think that was distracting especially during the airport scene earlier in the movie where there's a lot of fun Mm -hmm. stuff going on mostly with Haley atwell's character but then there's this added layer of the police are after ethan though i did love the gag of Benji and or Luther pinning different people with Tom Cruise's face. So then the police kept going after like, there he is, there's Ethan. And then it was someone else. Also the running gag of Shea Wiggum constantly checking people's faces. <laughs> yes. <laughs> grabbing them at their side. Yeah. yeah he's like, yeah. is this a, is this a fucking mask? Yeah. It's not like James Bond. Like the Daniel Craig, James Bond was always quitting or retiring. Cause he was a drama queen. Him and his mom were fighting. And so he would be like, fuck you. I'm leaving. Ethan isn't quitting. He's trying to do his job. And his bosses are like, you're a traitor. And it's like, he's obviously not a traitor. <laughs> it's obviously a setup. It's been a setup every single time. Let the man cook, you know? <laughs> like, he, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, well, Shea Wiggum should be in this. What kind of part would he play in a Mission Impossible movie? That part. He'd play that part. He'd play the guy just like, you know, trying to do his job. Like that's his whole. That's always Shea that's Wiggum. A good impression. He just. He's just. I love like, his face. Oh, it's just perfect. Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, he's got a I great just want to face. Do my job. Oh. Con Skull Island. I yeah. just want to do my job. 
You know, like he's just trying. He's trying. He's trying his hardest. Yeah, I think you're right, though. That's probably like you can cut that subplot. But maybe it's a crucial part of part two. That's why it's so frustrating with this. Yeah. It's like, no, we don't really know. They might know exactly what they're doing. So you can't take that piece out of the first movie or else the second movie doesn't make any sense. I liked his partner. Yes. His partner was a good contrast of like, why are you, (laughs) why are we, has it ever occurred to you that maybe Ethan Hunt is a good guy? Yeah, right. I felt like he was the audience a lot, which was kind of refreshing, kind of checking everybody in like, why are we even doing this? The dynamic of a character in a movie who's not on board with the franchise or the film's hijinks, that is often a very successful dynamic. And that's kind of what Shea Wiggum is in this. He's like, I don't like this Mission Impossible stuff. <laughs> Everyone just do your fucking job. What, what are we doing here? <laughs> Why can't we be transparent? Why do we have to have any secret? Like, yeah. just be honest I, I with do. what we're doing. Yeah. He's a good guy. He's a, he's a good... I know. So now I'm saying that. Well, I just yeah. love his performance. But he's actually yeah, a good character, absolutely. too. Like, there's... There's some good little quirks about him. Like you said, he's just very annoyed about everything. And I'm laughing. And as I'm bringing him up, he is a lot of... Those two provide a lot of the comic relief in the movie also, which is... There's a lot in this. This is a a lot. This is a big one. I love Vanessa Kirby. I would like... I can see why they brought her back. I don't remember that much about her character other than thinking she was electric in Fallout. Yeah. She's a very pleasant face also, just like Shea Wing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they both have very likable faces, but she has a lot of charisma and fun. And she introduced a level. Yeah. Mantis is fucking awesome in this movie. She's completely crazed. Bananas. And she barely <laughs> says anything. Like, I was thinking of Olivia Munn in X-Men Apocalypse. I think Olivia Munn's actually a pretty good actress. Like, she's good on hmm. the newsroom. She's pretty good in the newsroom. Like, that's a good... Jeff Newsroom. Yeah, yes. yes. <laughs> I like her character a lot in that. So she's a good actress, but in X-Men Apocalypse, she's just like... She doesn't say anything, but it's like there's nothing really going on with her character. But Mantis in this has... Her face is just so expressive, and she's just fucking bonkers and you don't really know like what is her deal and it doesn't matter because she's just fun Mm -hmm. and she's disrupting the plot and she's a good foil for ethan and his comrades so yeah i really liked her addition as well yeah your thing is tweets my thing is letterboxd reviews and i saw a great letterboxd review which is i don't know what her deal is in this movie but whatever it is i want her to do it to me (laughs) (laughs) yeah she's like Like, smiling she's great whatever she's yeah yeah but like just but there's a level of energy to her performance and again i know she can act because she's wonderful in the guardians movies and so it's like hey if you're yeah. not gonna talk but your face is just interesting and every single second you're on screen then i'm on board with that it was oddly enough reminiscent of dave batista inspector just i want to yeah. watch this guy do his thing just a kind of a fun henchman part that's just a little idiosyncratic there's just so much it's like it's a feast of fun fun things and cool moments and it is funny that it's so based around a key because matrix reloaded keys are a hugely important part my name is neil yes i'm the key maker i've been waiting for you dead man's chest is the key to davy jones it's a key no much more better it is a drawing of a key gentlemen what do keys do Keys unlock things, and whatever this key unlocks, inside there's something valuable. So we're setting out to find whatever this key unlocks. No. If we don't have the key, we can't open whatever it is we don't have that it unlocks. So what purpose would be served in finding whatever need be unlocked, which we don't have, without first having found the key what unlocks it? So we're going after this key. You're not making any sense at all. So there's something about these big ambitious two-parters where the writers are like, we need a key. We need to have a key. The characters need to say the word key every minute. <laughs> or people will forget. There were so many close-ups of Ving Rhames's... Maybe there weren't. It felt like there were so yes. many close-ups of Ving Rhames's beautiful face. <laughs> just that wonderful Ving Rhames face of him just going, Ethan, the key. Ethan, the entity. Like, it's just so... <laughs> <laughs> 
My Ving Rhames moment in this, my favorite Ving Rhames scene was when he announced he was leaving the movie at like two thirds of the way in, where it's like, Ethan, I've got shit to do that you'll see later in part two. And like, I'm not going to be part of this train sequence. So like, goodbye. It was literally like, hey, audience, I love riding and dying with you. I love that I've at least been other than four when I showed up at the end. I've otherwise (laughs) essentially been in all these movies. I love being a part of them. I'll be in part two, but like, I'll see you later. Check in with you next year. He has to re... Oh, no, no, no. He's Ethan's moral compass. I thought he was like restating the plot in that scene, but it's you cannot fucking kill this guy, which was great. Yes. How they keep finding fun stuff for Benji and Luther to do is impressive because it's like, how long can you use these same like analyst type characters, but they continue to do that. They both had a lot to do in this. Like everyone had a lot to do in this and essentially every new character is really good is like a memorable new yeah, character i agree it's like what if q went on every mission with james bond and that's what luther and benji are and it works it's just like we'll just we'll keep giving luther cool hats and he'll just who cares as long as there's a hat he'll be fine another tweet i saw was boy when you establish a look for a guy like this in your fucking movie like now you have to stick to it for seven movies there's <laughs> just showing like a picture of him and everything which but it's like hey that's what ving reams when i lo- i was reading about that and when they were casting that character they thought wouldn't it be funny if we put the big african-american mob boss from pulp fiction in as like the geeky analyst role and it's like yeah it's not it's <laughs> nice seeing someone you don't usually see in that type of role and he just crushes it instead of doing the cheesy stock casting i remember when i saw the first movie i was like who is that guy he's really cool i like that guy he's just like you know it's ving rame he's a cool he's a cool motherfucker and he gets to flaunt that in these movies so yeah it's not overstuffed but it is it's stuffed it's a big meal and i hope they close the loop and stick the landing on the next one. They obviously thought they had a really juicy story or else they wouldn't have split it into two parts. They would have just made a seventh one and then just made an eighth one. Like they obviously had an ambitious vision. So I'm just curious to see what ultimately it is. What did you think of AI being, which we, we've hinted at this a few times, but AI is essentially the villain of this movie? Yeah. I mean, I think that's just full on meta Tom Cruise just saying, like, I hate this. I hate, like, I hate that this is a technology. Like, this, we need to get rid of it. And a lot of people watch my movies all over the world. So my way to get the message out is to put it in a Mission Impossible movie, you know? I think it's as simple as that. He's just like, I hate AI. It's stupid. It completely misses the point of everything, which he's he's right. But, it, yeah, it is funny that, like, the villain is... It's just so funny that's the villain. A thing that can predict everything and ethan hunt's like okay challenge accepted (laughs) at first it felt a little jarring but they kept it as grounded as you can keep something like that Mm -hmm. it's fucking with how submarines are operating and it's giving the gabriel character so the gabriel character is sort of like the vessel for interpreting what the ai is trying to accomplish so it's like Okay, so you have a human that's working with you. That mm. kind of works. That's how you can get a lot of exposition out, too, which I thought was clever. Yeah. He is the archangel, if you will, for the god of AI. Perfect name. Were you a fan of Ozark? Did you watch yeah. Ozark? I've only seen that scene where he kills everyone at the office. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, was, he's, he's the villain in the first Yeah, he scared the shit out of me. Yeah, he's a good... I was like, that. this show's too scary. I can't watch it. <laughs> That guy's too scary. He's a good actor. So yeah, he was a good... I, I liked it. I thought it worked really well, and but it was just so funny with not only... I just... AI's becoming such a big conversation with everywhere, but specifically in the movie industry where that's a major point of contention with the writers and actors who are currently mm-hmm. striking. So another excellent tweet that I saw. We were talking about it either off or on the last episode of Tom Cruise has been... He's apparently for the last several months, as all of this has been going on, been like a lobby. Uh, He's been lobbying on behalf of both the writers and the actors trying to speak to studios to, you know, find some middle ground. So Tweet was like, this motherfucker is fighting the entity in real life. (laughs) He is. I mean, this is a guy that he's got that thing. He's got the Ronald Reagan thing of where he thinks the movies he did are real. But, you know, his movies are better. So I mean, when he's doing the stunts, there's a bit level of uh, reality to him. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think it's just a, it's him and Macquarie and company just saying, hey, people love these movies all over the world. So let's get the message out that AI, no fun. It's bad. It's evil. Don't let them make AI movies. And then it, it does work as a MacGuffin, as a device, because mm-hmm. it's Ethan's whole thing is his chaotic, unpredictable energy. Like the method to his whole thing is there's a method to my madness. Oh, but here's a thing that can predict everything you're going to do. So he has to be even crazier. And yeah, obviously him referring to the AI as God, the vil- the human villain is named Gabriel. I just think it's hysterical that this is building to Ethan Hunt kills God. <laughs> How fitting. I just think that's great. That's very fitting for this franchise. And for Tom Cruise. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Two things on a technical level that I want to say. I absolutely loved. I saw this with my brother-in-law and I leaned over and I'm like, this is fucking awesome. Which is what I was afraid this episode was going to be. It actually wasn't, which is great. But the third act set piece is on the Orient Express. So that full, that full circle, that was our joke mm-hmm. at the start of it. And I think I saw a track listing referred to something about the murder on the Orient Express. So I thought if this were the sequel, it would be murders on the Orient Express, like aliens. But the third act set piece, particular, <laughs> of course, the jump. I mean, that was just so thrilling. I, like, you, you just feel the realness of that. But yeah. specifically, the, a bridge is blown up and a train is slowly boxcar by boxcar falling down and... Ethan Hunt and Haley Atwell's character, I already forgot her name, but they're just... Grace. Grace, thank you. They're jumping from boxcar to boxcar, and every boxcar is a different set of issues that they need to <laughs> circumvent. So one of them yeah. was a kitchen one, and like uh-huh. the friolators are going, and grease is everywhere, and they're slipping over it. And then a later one is like the ballroom or piano room, so a piano is about to drop on them. And it kept going on and on, and it was, maybe it was a little bit too long, but I don't think so, because I was enjoying the hell out of it. I just thought, this is a really fun set piece, like boxcar to boxcar. <laughs> it was like a shortened version of that movie on the train, um, Snowpiercer. Yeah. Right, like with all the different class, it's like, okay, what predicament is this next one going to bring to us? And it was probably only like five minutes, but it, 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 it was felt, fun. it did feel a little yeah. long. It's and the fun. motorcycle thing, yeah. it's like, yes, obviously he did it with all these stunts. There's there's safety precautions and but like, you know, I wouldn't people like what well, I wouldn't do that in my dreams. Like <laughs> like it's too dangerous. Nor would I. <laughs> so of course. It's still impressive that he does that. And yeah, I did like that. So that that felt like sort of like almost like a Roger Moore bond gag. Like every room's a different gimmick and wink at the audience, but without being insulting, like we said previously mm-hmm. that's what these movies are mm-hmm. they know how to have fun they take themselves the appropriate level of seriously and i love the of course love the all the scores from the batman composers danny elfman hans zimmer and michael giacchino the fifth <laughs> one was a little less memorable by some guy i think danny marchant scored the fifth one i don't i don't even remember the guy's name <laughs> isn't it lauren balf isn't that no the fifth one's it's like kramer Joe Kramer, Joseph Kramer, and then the sixth one is okay. Lauren Balf. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So the fifth one's this like odd. Some guy did it. Who like I've never okay. seen his name ever. Some guy. Some guy. This one though was okay. I liked this. It had like a marching band feel to it. A lot of drums. Yes. high energy they use the theme well yeah so probably my favorite score that isn't done by the first four guys basically my favorite of the macquarie one there's lots of drums in the score to the first one i think they're really trying to draw connections to the the very first movie which i like and just remind people 
that, hey, this has existed since the 90s. Like, we didn't just start a couple years ago. Like, we've been going on for a long time. They're embracing their continuity, unlike other series that we've sometimes talked about. So good good on Mission yeah. Impossible. Yeah. Yeah, like Vanessa Kirby being, what, what is she, Vanessa uh, Redgrave's uh, daughter, granddaughter, whatever the case may be. That's what they were hinting at. Okay, so she's related yeah, to Max. Max from the first movie. Okay, which she's they, related to Max. They probably say that in Fallout that I just don't remember. Okay, that makes sense. It's super quick. They mention Max, and then the big blonde guy who was Max's bodyguard in the first movie has the quickest cameo in Fallout. And I didn't notice it the first time, and then it was pointed out to me. And he was also in a Bond movie as a big blonde guy. He's like a dancer. He's like one of those classic. He was a dancer in Russia. And so became a violent thug in American movies. But yeah, they're like embracing the fact that we do have other movies. So maybe the next one will be like Mission Impossible 2. Oh my God. Maybe there'll be doves <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. So yeah. this one's on a train. Like the first one was on a train. Kittredge is on the train saying, I haven't seen you since you were, ah, okay. Oh, I, I missed that. But as soon as you said it, that makes perfect sense that she's related to Max. So that's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. It's a good franchise. Continues uh, good as an understatement. It's a very good franchise. Like I said, I didn't know what it was until somewhere around Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation 4 and 5. So, you know, 2011, 2015, and it really started to figure out what it was. And it's just delivered and delivered time and time again, just like Tom Cruise. So definitely go see this. Definitely see it on a big screen. Highly, highly recommend. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. I don't want to sell you death sticks. I don't want to sell you death sticks. You want to go home and rethink your life. I want to go home and rethink.